Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going to look this morning as we uh, continue in our study in this really wonderful book of God's Word. Um, I want to start by sharing with you the story of a pastor who lived and ministered in the area of Philadelphia. His name was Jack Miller. He was a pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, which is a sister church to Redeemer Church in New York City, where Tim Keller is pastor. So if you want to if you know of Tim Keller's church, you can make a connection as to kind of the flavor of ministry that this man had. Um, he had just a, an uncanny and beautiful way of sharing the gospel with people. He had a passion that people would know what Christ had done for him so that they could know that experience of forgiveness in their own lives. As he came to the end of his life, he uh, was stricken with cancer. And Six weeks prior to the ending point of his life, he was challenged by his three children to write down the stories of his personal encounters with people and sharing Christ. Okay, so so strong was his witness that his kids thought as he approached death that it would be an awesome memoir for him to leave the stories of how God used him to communicate the gospel to others. And so this little book called A Faith Worth Sharing, which I've kind of adopted as the title of my sermon for today, is written by a man who is dead. Uh, but it is the story of how the gospel of Christ had literally completely transformed his life and how he lived his life to share that message with others. His daughters in the, uh, in the, in the preface to the book make this observation. They say, in his life of ministry, he was engaging people in gospel conversations continually. Meaning, not in pulpit, which he did faithfully there, but in the, in, the, in the average day of his life, he was a man committed to communicating the good news of Christ. And here's what they said. They said, there were plenty of unpredictable encounters as well. So outside of his ministry role, he was constantly encountering people and engaging them in conversations about the gospel. Here's what they say. In these many unpredictable encounters, dad always felt responsible for the person that he found himself next to. And I thought to myself, I said, I wonder if that's the legacy that I will leave for my kids. Dad always felt responsible for the person that he found himself next to. Whether he was cooking breakfast in a boarding house, having a snack in a Paris cafe, or collecting trash in Uganda. Over the years, we were captive audience for Dad's stories about his efforts to share his faith. It became predictable that he would get himself into unpredictable predicaments and find opportunities for the gospel. And I thought to myself, do I, do I love the gospel in that sort of a way that it literally permeates the conversation and communication of my life? We, in our bulletin on a weekly basis, have a statement that says, we believe that the chapel exists to make more and better disciples of Christ. More disciples, evangelism, better disciples, discipleship. And that really is a summary statement of the Great Commission of Jesus. The text that we're going to look at today drives at this issue of gospel-sharing living. Okay, a life lived to communicate a gospel that God has given us that is worth communicating with people around us. And I believe that evangelism and discipleship, as we look ahead as a church and we think about our formation and our movement from where we are into the new place that God has for us geographically, 
I believe it is vital that we connect with a deep love and passion for the gospel and for disciple making. This morning, I want to talk about the first phase of that and how looking at Philippians 1, you're going to find that this is a text that is utterly saturated with the word gospel. The word gospel will come up six times in chapter 1 of Philippians and then teaching and sharing and proclaiming the gospel will also come up six times. So on 12 occasions in 20-some verses, there is a focused attention on gospelizing in our lives. Taking this good news that God has given us and treasuring it and valuing it to the degree that it becomes a faith worth sharing. So I ask you the question, the gospel that you love, is it a compelling and driving force in your daily life? Do you think about it enough? And I, I think often we, 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 we wrestle with defining what it is so that we can understand why should we, we should be so excited about it. And so to help you with that this morning as we move into the discussion, I want to I give you a quote from an article that Tim Keller wrote about the gospel. And here's what he said. He says, The word gospel distinguishes the Christian message from all world religions. And I love that statement. If there is something true about the gospel that is not true about world religions, then it should be the distinguishing mark of the gospel, of the good news. And listen to how he describes it. An evangel, and that's the Greek word for gospel. An evangel is simply good news. It's what was announced to the shepherds by the angels. We bring you tidings of good news that's great, that will bring great joy for all people. That's the word that is used there. He says an evangel was news of a great historical event, such as a victory in war, the ascension of a new king, that changed the people's conditions and required a response. Okay, the good news that affected the people's condition dramatically and required a response. Okay, so is the gospel for me that kind of a driving force? Well, it is if you understand the gospel in this way. He goes on to say, the gospel is good news of what God has done to reach out to us. It is not advice about what we must do to reach God. Now, all world religions have a code of ethics that you must follow in order to have a relationship with the God. Okay, that's what's fundamental in all world religions. In biblical Christianity, the distinguishing point is that God has reached out to us in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. Here's the way Tim says it. He says, God has entered the world in Jesus Christ to achieve a salvation for us that we could not achieve for ourselves, which now converts and transforms individuals and forms them into one new humanity which will eventually renew the whole world and all of creation. You see, the gospel is a message that comes to impact, to call for a response, to transform us, and to change us converts and transforms now i know i live in a world that is broken i know i live in a world that is struggling in many ways and you know it, it it's sad to me that often as christians we are much more quick to engage in a political conversation that will make no difference than we are to engage in a con conversation about the converting power of the gospel of christ folks 
We understand this. People don't need to know who to vote for. They need to know who to trust. And the one that they should trust is Christ, who is God who came in flesh to rescue us from our broken and fallen condition and to transform our lives now and forever. And that is the message that Christ has for us. That is the gospel. Now, as you come to verse 12 of this text, a passage that centers in a discussion about the gospel, Paul starts by saying this in verse 12. I want you to read with me just for a couple verses. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Now, so what is Paul after? Paul is, here's the, the flow of the story of Philippians is this. Paul was in need while he was in prison for monetary support. That's the way it was in the ancient world. Not like the American system. Okay? So Paul is in need Word of that need gets back to Philippi. Philippi collects a love offering Paul and sends it to him through some means. Somebody came and brought that gift to Paul. Paul had a conversation with them. They shared with Paul that the people in Philippi are wondering how you're doing. You're here in prison for the gospel. How are you? And Paul then writes this letter back to the church in Philippi to address the concerns that were raised. In this text, he's going to address two concerns. Okay, one is his chains, his imprisonment, and the other is his opposition. Okay, those are two areas of concern that they've communicated back to Paul. How are you doing with that? Paul's writing back now and saying, here's how it's going. Okay, so I want you to focus on what Paul wants them to know from verse 12, how he is doing in his circumstances. So, first of all, let's deal with the issue that he brings up in regards to to his chains, which is a theme here. If you look in verse 7, he talks about that I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel. And then verse 17, he says this. He says, The former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Okay, so you find that Paul is in a house imprisonment. He's chained in that location. Okay, and it's, their question is, okay, Paul, you, you follow Christ, you obey Christ, now you find yourself in chains. How is that working for you? And there's a concern. There is a, if you follow the logic of the text, the logic of the text is something like this. Chains are seen as a negative or limiting factor in Paul's experience. Okay, if you said to me, what was the purpose of chains in Paul's life? The purpose of chains in Paul's life from the perspective of the government was to restrict him and to limit the message that he was preaching. It was punishment intended to shame and silence. Okay, that was the effect of chains that was intended. It was meant to limit or kill mission. And the question for the people in Philippi is, Paul, is is that what's happening? And Paul's response, I think, is very powerful. Notice what he says. As a result, it has become, and and so what are his circumstances? Circumstances, I'm in chains. Paul, what is the outcome of that? That's what he goes to address in verse 13. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else, I am in chains for Christ. 
And this, this idea of for Christ means to the advantage of his cause or to this end. That's the idea. Okay? So their thought is, okay, Paul's in chains. That must be limiting things. Paul's response in Shakespearean English is, au contraire, it's not having a negative effect. In fact, it is increasing the mission. Now, folks, our response to negative circumstances as we seek to fulfill our God-given calling is crucial. Paul looks at his being in change and realizes that an incredible opportunity has emerged. Verse 13 tells us that he is in the realm of the palace guard or the praetorian guard. These are the elite people, the secret service of the Roman Empire that guarded Caesar himself. As a result of his imprisonment, what was happening? Notice what he says in verse 13. It has become clear throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. They all know that I am in chains for the proclamation of Jesus Christ. What a perspective. What a perspective. What a, what a, a faith-filled view of circumstance that says, God, I, you put me here, I trust you, use me here. So what's the circumstance that God has put you into that you would think would lean towards the negative, which actually God is intending to be a positive for the gospel? Paul, it says it has turned out that they know that I am in change for the benefit of the gospel of Christ. Now, I want to ask you a question. I started with a statement about a man named um, Pastor Miller. Here's what I believe about Paul. Paul always felt responsible for the person that he found himself next to. Every encounter Paul had in life, he saw as an opportunity, a divine appointment for the gospel. And that brought, that's why you're going to find that this part of the letter is, is immersed in gospel and joy, those two themes. Because Paul didn't feel limited by circumstances he saw a God who was sovereign in and through his circumstances and he knew that the cause of Christ could advance in difficult circumstances and situations so the first outcome that Paul would say of his chains is hey the whole praetorian guard up to Caesar the gospel is being proclaimed what a glorious outcome and then in verse 14 he says because of my chains that is now as a result of so Paul didn't resent these things. He'd embrace them. He had said, God, you brought me here for a purpose. Now fulfill your purpose through your servant. Verse 14, he says, Most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God courageously and aphobos is the Greek word. We get our word phobia, fears, all right? And our brother here honestly shared that with us. We get we get a, a, a tinge of fear that comes up because we don't know how we're going to be treated when we share the gospel. We wrestle with communicating that in a culture that is like ours. It's not easy, but it is essential. And Paul says, because of my change, because I, in these circumstances, have consistently communicated the love of Christ to others. He says, my brothers are living without fear in their proclamation of the gospel. So what is Paul saying? The Praetorian Guard has heard the gospel because of my chains. And the brothers in Christ are encouraged to speak the word of God more fearlessly because of my chains. What's happening? There is an exponential growth in the gospel that is merging out of circumstances that we would never choose, but that God often provides. You understand that? 
Paul is embracing a set of circumstances that he didn't choose, but because he trusted a sovereign God, he embraced it and said, God, use me in this place. And there is a result that is contrary to circumstance. Folks, that is God at work. And Paul loved and lived for that end to be achieved. Their question, Paul, how's it going? Paul's response, mission accomplished. I love that. May that be our heart. And I think, I think we need to challenge ourselves in terms of circumstances here and how we respond to them. You know, a lot of times when we face difficulty in our Christian experience, we tend to respond with discouragement and sometimes with resentment. Is that a, is that a fair assessment? Difficulty comes. I'm not saying I wonder how God is going to work. Now, Tim Hoff's first response is, that blows this. <laughs> Right? I mean, we tend to be pessimistic. And Paul's writing to these people saying, you've heard about my change. It's a concern to you. Knock it off. I'm good. The gospel is growing exponentially. The brothers are sharing Christ more freely. And people that never were to heard have heard. And Paul says, if my chains, my pain, my loss, my suffering, my limitation is a means for expanding the gospel, Paul's saying, I'll take it. That is a man who loves what Christ has done for him. So when God lets circumstances come into your life, do you resent them, fight them? Or do you embrace them and say, God, I believe you're sovereign. Work in a beautiful and glorious way in my life. And I think ultimately, this is a matter of trust, isn't it? It's a matter of trust. If you trust God, then you will walk in obedience to him in any and all circumstances. That's how Paul responds to the chains. Secondly, verse 18 brings up another, or verse 15 brings up another discussion so 12 through 14 the chains the imprisonment the circumstances verse 15 the opposition now this this text to me is sad at certain levels because the ones that are rising in opposition to paul are people that are within allegedly within the believing community and so here's what he says it is true that some preach christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. And I think what Paul's kind of saying is, I refuse to focus on the negative. I refuse to focus on what's against me. I will focus on the one who is for me. And I'm not going to put my eyes on the waves. I'm going to fix my eyes on Christ. Okay, and that's the way we need to live our life, in carrying out the call of God. Don't focus on the things that cause fear. Focus on the one who brings faith and hope and courage. And Paul says, yes, it's true, shamefully true. Some are preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, but the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can add affliction or trouble to my chains. Now, you've got to ask yourself, okay, what is this? Can I be blunt? competition within the body of christ i don't know if this is church to church i don't know if it's amongst individuals leaders within a specific church i don't know which it is i just know that it exists and paul will not let himself be taken down by the struggles of fallen humanity he doesn't let it get him off track he doesn't personalize his problems he sees them in the light of the bigger picture of what god is doing and what does he find he finds freedom you know how many people live in the bondage of resentment 
because of criticism that has come to them. And they just shut down. Paul says, I'll have none of that. So he, 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 he hears that they've heard that there's opposition from within. And it's, it's probably, if I was, I, was, I was thinking, how do I illustrate this? And I think the only way I can illustrate this is, I drive past another church when I'm coming here. Another church that preaches the gospel. Do I want to see their parking lot fuller than ours? The correct answer is? Yes. The correct answer. Right? I mean, that, we should be thrilled. that If God raises up other churches in Warren County, I say, great, praise God. Do you realize that only 4% of this community attends a Bible-preaching church? 4%. That should break our hearts. Here's the sad thing. Tim Hoff's flesh is ugly. And if I operate in my flesh, I would rather see our church doing well than someone else's. And that is fundamentally sad. When you hear struggles within the body of Christ, do you feed on it and share it? Or do you hold it and pray? Ask yourself the question, honestly. Do you talk about it to others before you pray about it to the one who can resolve it and bring glory to his name through the gospel? I think that's what Paul's dealing with. There's a competitive spirit. Paul's saying, I will, have, I, I will not live in that way. So what had happened for Paul? The gospel of Christ is so, for Paul, personally glorious that it has liberated him from the things that tend to bind us. Chains, limitations in our lives. Paul's saying, I'm good with it. I don't resent it. I trust God. Criticism that comes from opposition outside. Paul's saying, I can deal with that. I understand that. I understand fallen humanity. I know the ugliness in my own heart. I'm not blown away when people mess up. I go to God and ask God to work. And this is what he's saying. Some do it for the wrong reasons. But he's like, okay, so Paul, how do you resolve the tension though? And I want you to notice what he says. He says in verse 18, he says, after saying, they're trying to add trouble to my chains. They're trying to disturb my psyche while I'm in prison. And that's weird. But notice what he says. But what does it matter? Is Paul saying it doesn't matter? No. Is Paul saying it didn't hurt? No. Is he saying that the difficult circumstances weren't difficult? No. He's not a denier. He lives in the realm of reality. They are chains and they are opponents. But what does it matter? That's Paul's question in light of the driving force and purpose of the church of Jesus Christ. What does it matter? Verse, verse 18, he answers the question. The important thing, the main thing, is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, whether people are doing for the right reason or the wrong reason, Christ is preached and because of that... I rejoice. That's what fired Paul up. The gospel's going out. Okay, well, they're a little different than us, or we're a little suspicious about how they operate. They're a little over the edge. I mean, you know how people felt about Paul, probably. Hey, Paul's probably in prison because, you know, he's a little half-cocked. He's one of those, he's a little radical. He's probably in prison because he... He pushed too far. Or he was not as thoughtful as he should. He'd go on and on. Paul's like, yeah, we're, 
We don't know that that's the case, but you can understand that's probably how some people might have felt about Paul. He just kind of is the bull in a china closet in the church. And maybe he's there and you can hear it all. What does Paul, what does it matter? Christ is being proclaimed and that brings me joy. Folks, when you understand the true gospel, that it is the work of God through his son Jesus Christ to rescue people from brokenness and it is a gospel that demands a response and when that response of faith comes, it brings freedom into people's lives. It transforms them. I, look, I love hearing people's testimonies. I loved last week, Jim, when you shared your story about how the gospel impacted and rescued you from a broken life. I love hearing that. And Paul's like, what matters? Christ is being proclaimed. And when Christ is being proclaimed, the gospel moves in power. It is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. It is rescuing people. Paul says, that's why I live my life. So I can deal with the chains and I can deal with the opponents. Now, Paul then is going to deal with his perspective. Okay, so he's got opponents, he's got chains. He's got things in his life that all of us are trying to run from and we pray that God would remove it rather than God would use it. Paul's a different perspective that allows him to say, God, yeah, my temporary life is difficult, but I have an eternal hope. And Paul's saying, I'm always balancing. I'm always looking at everything I'm dealing with here as temporary and I know that the future is bright and glorious. And that hope is my perspective. Notice how he how he addresses this beginning in verse, <clears throat> verse, second half of verse 18. Here's what he says. He says, Christ is preached, and because of this I will rejoice. And then most of you have a paragraph break there. He says, because he repeats himself, he says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know, I have a, and the word here is, I have a deep and settled conviction. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Christ, that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And the word here is the word salvation in the original language. So, so what is Paul saying? Paul's saying in spite of what's happening in the temporary realm, I know that in the eternal realm, I have salvation. I have a hope that is secured by the work of another. A hope that is not dependent upon my performance and how well I'm doing. And that is what Paul is clinging to. And he wants you to know that in this I rejoice and will rejoice because I know deliverance is coming. Verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be, put, be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. And what is Paul saying? Yes, I have opposition and yes, I have chains and if it costs me my life in either case Christ will be made known folks when i read that i think i'm reading the biography of a man who is truly free he's truly free the littlest things can get me off base littlest things can irritate me can steal my joy can discourage me what is paul saying you know what he's saying he's saying tim hoff keep eternity in view Keep the big picture in play. Keep your salvation in the forefront. Know that God has secured your future and your hope in Christ. And when you struggle, rehearse the gospel. So Paul says, I want Christ to be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Now that, to me, when I read that, that's an ultimate commitment. That's an ultimate commitment. Paul says, whether by my life or by my death, Christ will be exalted. In that, I rejoice. 
There is, there is a degree of resolve and sacrifice in that that Tim have, has not achieved. I will never forget uh, having a conversation with my friend Victor John, who was a missionary to India. He told me of a conversation he had with his family, with his wife and his kids. He said, we need to have a conversation about my life. That if I commit to this ministry, it may cost me my life. Are we good with that? Because I am. Are we good with that ultimate sacrifice for the gospel? Because I am. Now folks, if I don't resolve the little issues of my daily life, the little disturbances of chains and people, how will I wrestle with the bigger issues? And I, I, I think we, we tend to be so temporal in our thinking, so temporary, so time-bound. And we lack a view of eternity that Paul had. That view of eternity was liberty for Paul. So that he could go on to say in the next verse, he says, I can say Christ can be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, because for me to live is Christ, therefore to die is gain. That's an amazing statement. He says, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. It will mean benefit for you. But what shall I choose? He says, I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But it is more necessary for you that I remain on in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you you for your progress and for your joy in the faith. And what is Paul wrestling with? Paul's wrestling with what we would call a dilemma. Okay, and the dilemma is I can die and experience the ultimate outcome of my salvation to be with Christ. Paul says, that's what I'm living for. But it is more necessary for me that I stay here and minister the gospel to you for your growth and for your joy. And all of a sudden you see a very Christ-like picture emerging. Paul sees the purpose of his life, not the pursuit of his own joy, but the pursuit of the joy of others in Christ, which is giving him what? Ultimate joy. So what do we tend to think? We think, I have to secure my own happiness. I have to protect my own wants, my own desires, my own things, my own people. What is Paul saying? I live for the benefit of others. And in that pursuit, I am finding a deep, driving, beautiful joy in my life. For to me, Paul can say, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. It's, it, it's a fascinating text because the question seems to come before Paul, before God, Paul, do you want to live or die? And, and Paul's kind of like, I need to think about that. And I'm thinking to myself, well, what would the response of the average American Christian be? Oh, no, I want to live. Right? Why? I, I think the answer is because we are very temporal in our perspective. We're not looking down the road, especially looking down the road eternally. We tend to be very focused in the immediate, what's happening in the temporal realm. Paul has laid hold of the eternal realm in such a way that it has brought him to a place of, I don't know. I just, I just love that tension that Paul is wrestling with. And in this coming to a place where he's like, you know what? It's, I, I don't know. 
I could live for Christ, honor him, glorify him with my family. I, I, I've, I've hit this situation a couple times in my life where I've thought, okay, because I believe in the blessed hope and the return of Christ, I've, I've had things, events coming in my life where I thought, I don't know if I want Christ to come right now. Okay, I'm planning to get, our marriage was on a Friday night, June 21st, 20, ooh, 30. 32 years ago. 31 years ago. I remember thinking, you know, Monday night of that week, I'm thinking, okay, do you want Christ to come or do you want to get married on Friday? <laughs> that was one of those, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> okay, or when you're, first child's going to be born. You're kind of like, okay. The due date's coming, January 29th. I remember that. Trish, you're surprised, right? And Christ could come on the 27th. Oh. That's, that's one of those where it's so, what's coming is so glorious that you're like, whoa. And then grandchildren coming, right? So I'm thinking, this year, in light of this text, July 7th is coming. I want to be there for that. Now, with the weighty things, I get it. But we're like that about everything, aren't we? And, and, and Paul is so in love with Christ and so full of hope that comes from the gospel. It has so changed and transfixed his life that he can honestly say, well, I can, I can stay here and serve you, and that's fine. But to be with Christ is far better. I really don't know. I, I want to love Christ in that in that kind of a way that is so deeply transforming in my life that I can deal with change, I can deal with opposition because I have a fixed hope on Christ that is producing an abundance of joy, a joy that's tied to the future. And this is what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, my hope is ultimately found in what is coming in the future in our relationship with Christ. Verse 20 Five, he says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy and faith so that through my being with you, your love or your joy in Christ will overflow on account of me. And I think what Paul is saying is this. I so love the gospel that I will endure anything if it means you will know Christ better and love him more and have a joy unspeakable and full of glory. You know what Paul wanted for the church? He wanted the, them to know that in Jesus they had a limitless joy that would fix their eyes on eternity and free them from temporal concerns like chains and people problems. Is the gospel so deeply affecting my life and your life? Is the gospel so deeply affecting our church so that when we move from this place to the new place that God has for us, we will be armed and ready to be people that passionately and regularly communicate the gospel of Christ to the world around us. So tomorrow morning when you're driving to work or tomorrow morning when you're getting up and taking care of the kids and getting them off to school and the temporary flares up, I want to encourage you to get, capture the eternal and bring it into your sphere of influence. And as parents and as young people, Live like Pastor Jack lived. Understanding that the person beside me is valuable and matters to God. And the gospel that has changed my life and transformed my life can deeply impact for the good their life if I'm willing to share it. Take the gospel 
It is a faith worth sharing. Take it into the world around you and communicate it for the glory of God. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for your word that is so clear and powerful, uh, so life-altering, so powerful to adjust our perspective and to change how we look at life. God, let us be gospel-saturated people so that we live with the faith worth sharing. God, forgive our silence. Father, help us to be honest as we sit here this morning and look back into our lives and we can honestly ask ourselves, when is, I, when is the last time that I, in spite of my circumstances, communicated the gospel of Christ to a needy world? God, help us to be honest this morning. And Lord, help us to honestly say to you, God, I want you to use my life to communicate the gospel of Christ to the world around me starting with my family, into my neighborhood, into my community, so that more and more will know the glory of Christ. And God, give us that heart. Forgive us being silenced. Help us, like Paul, to say, so that I will in no way be put to shame. Oh, God, help us to love Christ so much that we cannot help but share Him as the greatest news that has ever been heard, the evangel, that God has come in Christ to rescue And if you're here this morning and you've never responded to the good news of God's grace, I want you to know that the gospel comes to change your life. It comes to call you. It comes to draw you. It comes to forgive you, to release you, to free you from the temporary, to fix your eyes on the eternal so that you can live with great joy. This morning, I would beg of you, respond to Christ. Trust Him as the one who stood in your place on Calvary's cross, bore the wrath of God against you and offers you forgiveness and freedom today. Oh God, help as we sing our closing song that you would draw on our hearts and cement in our lives this truth about Christ so that we will leave here with the faith worth sharing. We pray in his name. Amen.